You're listening to a 1911 podcast. This is Celebs and the Average Joe. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the last episode of Celebs and the Average Joe with me, Phil Reynolds. Thanks to everyone who's listened throughout 2020. It's been a difficult year for everyone and we hope that the podcast has brought you a little bit of cheer throughout the last nine or ten months or so. We're going to end the series for 2020 with one of the biggest superstar rock star DJs in the world. He's currently shacked up working as a waiter in his cafe in Brighton. Well, he was until three days ago when the restrictions were changed, but he was working as a waiter in his cafe instead of headlining festivals and nightclubs around the world. It's such a bizarre story, but it's lovely at the same time and so heartwarming. He doesn't need an introduction other than me saying three words, fat boy slim. Wishing everyone a very Merry Christmas and here's hoping that 2021 is a better year for all of us. We'll see you on the other side and I'll leave you with Fat Boy Slim. No, I just see what happens. Norman Cook, Fat Boy Slim, welcome into my little world of podcasts. How are you getting what, on? What a gorgeous little world you have there. I know, a, a lovely little white wall behind me. It's gorgeous. Your Christmas tree is beautiful, by the way. Can you take credit you. for that? Sorry? Can you take um, credit for that? My daughter did the uh, decoration, yeah. So she's not just a DJ, she's a... Not, oh, there's no end to her talents. Oh, wicked, wicked. Norman, we we find ourselves in a time of our lives where we don't really know what's going on. I guess for a DJ of your stature, this would be in and around the busiest time of the year for you DJing around the world. Now everything's come to a stop. What's it like for you as a DJ in the middle of a, of a pandemic when essentially we don't know the end date to it? I don't know. It's, I think, it, like grief, it comes in stages. There's the kind of, you know, accept, denial, acceptance, uh, anger. Uh, I'm definitely in the acceptance end of it now. I mean, at first it was just weird because I'm used to, for the last, uh, I don't know, 15, 20 years at least, I'm used to going out every other weekend and, and doing what I do. And so it was quite weird at first. It was just that's the longest I've not, you know, I've never not DJed for more than six weeks uh, and so it was, it was kind of alien to me and not altogether unpleasant because normally, I mean, I, I'll be honest, I've always promised myself a summer off in, in at home in Brighton with my kids and hanging out on the beach and, you know, but then I never could really do it because if there'd be FOMO of all the, the festivals going on. So it, once I'd kind of got my head around it, it was like, well, let's use this time to, you know, really spend quality time with my, my family um, just rest up a bit and have that kind of summer off. But then more recently, it's like the, the idea of how long this is going to go on gets really scary because it was, it was quite scary at first. And then we kind of, okay, well, this is it. This is, we, we kind of adapt to it. Uh, we deal with it. And then one day it's going to end. But then probably until, until the, 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 the vaccine, the promise of the vaccine came, it really looked like this could go on for years. You know, when the second wave hit, I think everybody was just like, oh, Christ. And then I suppose everybody who's, who's kind of watching their budget and their income thinking, well, Christ, I, you know, I've survived this, but can I survive another year, really? And so especially for people in, the, in our end of, of the entertainment business, it's really scary because we're under no illusions that we'll be the last to be put back in place. You know, the last thing you can, you know, 
the pubs first and then, and then the gyms and then, you know, sport, sporting events. But cramming tons of sweaty, drunk people together to share bodily fluids and, and a, communal, a common euphoria is going to be the, the last thing that we're allowed to do when, when you know, the, the virus has been eradicated. So, yeah, it's kind of, it's scary, but I'm really glad the, the, the vaccine, though it might still be six months, at least it looks like there is light at the end of the tunnel. How do you think it's been handled with artists like you? Because on the, the good side, you've got to spend time with the kids and be at the beach and have more time at home for the first time in 15 years. But how do you think the situation has been handled when you just said there that we are going to be, I, I use the word we because I'll be the punter, you'll be the, the DJ. But how do you think the situation has been handled when it's, all right, you can open a restaurant that serves food. You can't open a wet bar. You can open Primark and people can queue for two hours. But do you think it's been handled in a way that is beneficial to performing artists or are you critical of the whole situation? I'm fairly critical of, of every single thing that the government is. If you're talking about the government, I'm pretty critical about everything it's done. Even like uh, a bit like Morecambe and Wise, even when they do the right things, they do them in the wrong order. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's been mishandled across the board from PPE to, um, you know, the the speed and, and um, uh yeah, so the lockdown should both lockdowns should have come earlier. But I mean, that's different. That's politics. I think there was a horrible moment when we realised that in the government, as as badly as it's handled anything, everything, it really didn't care about us and our end of the business at all. Um, but I was quite pleased to see a certain amount of people power. There was various things like um, Let Us Play a campaign, and there was about four or five different campaigns uh, say, trying to get the point across that the various different parts of the nightlife industry or the entertainment industry, that we're not dispensable, that, that the arts and culture, though they might on paper not be you know our biggest export, I think culturally and economically it's a huge part of, of our country. And there was that little moment when they were basically saying, you know, that when it came to that, you know, the the, the reboot as a reboot as a site in cyber, um, when it's like you honestly don't give a fuck about us. And but they, I think they they responded because uh, you know, literally about a week after the 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 pressure pressure really came, they um, they gave out the first grants to venues. And I believe there's, there's been like three waves of grants now. So venues, they've realised that the venues have to exist. Um, uh, and then, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's difficult because you can furlough some people, but you can't furlough self-employed people. And so many people I know in the, in the business from people who do, you know, who do lighting or you know, tour management or whatever, they're all pretty much self-employed and they're living from hand to mouth. And obviously it's really hurt them, but, I'm not quite sure how the government could help them out apart from sort of direct bailouts. So it's, I mean, it's, it's, I mean, the whole thing's been a shit show. It's, it's an impossible job badly done. Um, and, and, and the people I feel the sorriest for are the, the, the people who supply toy, mobile toilet, portable toilets and, and crowd control fencing and all the logistics of, of putting on live events because they'll just be sitting there 
wondering, you know, how this is ever going to turn out for them. The other people I feel really sorry for, like you said, I'm an established artist, so I've kind of got my foot in the door and I'm sort of financially, I can afford to take a year off. What I feel most sorry for is up and coming artists who were just about, they were just on the cusp of that really big, you know, they're going up the next rung of the ladder or they were going to have a really great show at Glastonbury that was going to make them and, you know, and the people who were just poised because the business works like that, you'd kind of have your moments. And then a lot of people must have, you know, lost the momentum of that moment. And I just hope they can uh, manage to survive that. You've People are like old lags like me, we fare better. Oh, behave. There's life in the old dog yet. No, no, no. I mean, no, I mean, we fare better as in we can ride these things out. We will, you know, we're, we're, people have still heard of us. But it's people who are just getting, just getting that, that big break into the big time who, who I feel sorry for. You'd mentioned a really good point about the people who own the fencing and the portaloos and stuff like that. If we could turn back time, when you did um, Brighton on the Beach, which was essentially probably the groundbreaking moment for massive crowds for one artist. How many people would have been working on that in terms of your crew and setting it up? Um, I honestly don't know. I honestly don't know. Not, not enough for the numbers as it turned out. Uh, we were, um, we were very lucky that the audience behaved themselves because if anything had gone wrong, between the police and the stewards and everyone, you know, we were caught with our trousers down, how many people turned out. But I don't know. I mean, that wasn't, that particular gig wasn't particularly, because there's, it didn't, because it, it, it was free. There was no, the only barriers was to stop people uh, pushing for, for, just to stop the, the, um, the momentum of people pushing towards the front. But it wasn't fenced in. It wasn't, we didn't provide many port loose to <laughs> I'm afraid to say it. Yeah, so we were no, but I mean the since then that that a lot of lessons were learned about putting on wide scale events. And if you look at how many festivals there are around this country every every summer, every single one of them has got to have, you know, transport logistics and like you said, from the, you know, toilets and barriers and stages and lights and all that that side of it. And um, those people really are forgotten because they're not on band camp. And they they can't do live streams, and they just have to sit there and, and and tighten their belts. Yeah, the reason why I'd said as an example of of your gig in Brighton was because there, there's people in the government and people of power that think that a superstar DJ like yourself just appears and the magical fairies come in the middle of the night and build the stage and look after the crowds and everything else. Whereas there's so many people behind one massive event and I was looking at stats earlier on this morning and it's in and around 66 billion pounds a year is put into the UK economy from arts and live music events but yet you guys are the ones that are left dwindling yeah. another stat that I saw as well I mean, I mean I don't know I don't know the exact figures but the the amount of foreign income British pop music and club music generates must piss all over our fishing industry, and yet they'll send gunboats out to, to, to save that. Yeah, I read that yesterday, actually. That, that's, that's a good point. Another one just on the back of that budget is that, or the, the back of the, the money that goes into the economy is, by Christmas, which will be in a couple of days' time, there's going to be 170,000 people from live music events will have lost their jobs. That, that's mental. 
Yeah. I mean, the only thing you can hope is that when, uh, when it all comes back, the public's appetite will be such that we'll all have a field day and everyone will be dancing in the streets for, for months if not decades. Um, yeah, I mean, because that was another worry. Until the, the the vaccine came out, I was thinking how long can clubs and venues be shut before a whole generation comes through that aren't used to going to them? It's kind of, you know, when you're 17 or 18, you that becomes where, you know, you, you graduate on to going to, to nightclubs. And if between, if it, the eight, those 18-year-olds missed out and they just went straight through on social media and, live streams they might not be used to getting out so i was worried that part of our that side of our culture would and the traditions that we have would die so again the vaccine hopefully is nipped in and just at the nick of time to save that hopefully please god you were one of the first artists to come out and put a stand and say that you're going to run an event for nhs staff which obviously the more severe this got the the way that it was it wasn't going to happen but it is going to happen hopefully next year because i'm in manchester now and we're in tier three and london has just been announced that it's going into tier three so did you want to do this just to say thank you just to the nhs staff and the work that they've done yeah, yeah, purely and simply. I, I just, I've got a lot of friends in, in Brighton who work in, in NHS or um, key workers. And I don't know, I just felt that standing outside and clapping to them on a Thursday was kind of not really enough. And at that point, it really did feel like there was a kind of Dunkirk spirit in the country. You know, and it's like, what can we do? And I was thinking, what can I do? I've got no other skills. I can't, you know, people were volunteering to, you know, to, to uh, run medical centres or whatever. And I was thinking, I've got no other skills. The only thing I can do is, is, you know, make people happy or make people escape from the drudgery of their normal lives. So it just seemed the obvious thing to do. To, And I was quite, but what I really wanted to, the point I wanted to make was I wanted to just give them a party to say thank you. Not to raise money to, for some, I don't know, NHS benevolent funds at the same time everybody's trying to raise money for the nhs it's like hold on our government that's their job is to give money to the nhs it's not for us to do their dirty work and plus we give them money will they really ever feel the benefit of it it'll get spent on some more you know uh, um it'll get you know farmed out to some other uh, uh crony and cronies and so i just thought this would directly thank all the people that i know in brighton I give them a big party to say thank you. You know, it's the only thing where I could directly affect their lives for one night and give them a free night out. And it felt, it, yeah, it just, it just felt like the only, you know, the only way I could help at that point. I was listening to something few, to look forward to. I was listening to a few of your bangers this morning on the way into work. And if there isn't a song that you need to start this NHS event with, I don't know what is praise you if you think oh, of, yeah. think of the words that we've come a long long way together you know i have to praise you like i should could you imagine what would that feeling be like to be behind the turntables you use the word euphoria there i'm getting goosebumps well, thinking about it i uh well hopefully i will that moment will occur because we're still i'm still committed to do that party for the nhs as soon as we're allowed to as soon as it's safe to do it so I'll, i will i i I mean, I kind of slightly getting hairs on the back of my neck. You just you talking about it? Yeah, it will be the probably the first and the last tune of the night, and there there may be tears because yeah. 
because it's always it's often an emotional moment when that song is played. You know, the my local football team play it at the end of uh, end of games, and it's sort of often bittersweet, <laughs> yeah. depending on whether we've won or lost. So it's quite a moving uh, sentiment, anyway. But yeah, I mean, the, 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 through the hard times and the good that we've been through this year. Um, when we come out of it, it is, it is worth celebrating. It's worth celebrating the people who really helped us in during the worst of times. It's just what you said about the football. I was messaging my mate when you had kindly confirmed it through the podcast saying, I've almost ballsed up this podcast with Fat Boy and it's not even happened yet. And he was like, what have you done? You don't have to out, you don't have to out yourself and say this if you don't. If you, if right, no, I've got to. No, my mum and dad always said, be true to yourself. So <laughs> for people who don't we know... Do, so people who don't know, you had said last Monday that you were watching the Albion and I had said to you, and I honestly hold my hands up now, this was not a joke, this was not a poke at you because I support United and I am in no position to make fun of people who support other teams. But I thought that you meant West Bromwich Albion when you said Albion. And I was, I was, I don't even know where I was, it just clicked with me when oh my God, Norman lives in Brighton. It's Brighton, Brighton Hove Albion. He's got to lose his shit here. <laughs> but thankfully you didn't. So thank you for being so accommodating. That's all. I did, I did feel rather sorry for you because I could just imagine your face when you, when you realised. Honestly, honestly, my face just felt like everyone, oh my God. Norman, I did have to just point out there is only one team called Albion. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and there's only one United, thankfully, because was, if there was any more of them, I'd be a nervous wreck at this stage. Yeah, you've been busy as well. You've kept the music coming with your new album. How's it been received? It's been, I've shown a lot of love, I think. I, I, my career's been littered with moments of, of just lucky sort of zeitgeists. And it was, it was a coincidence that I was kind of, I'd, build, I'd, I'd put aside this summer to do Back to Mine. Uh, and because of the way the year turned out, A, I had much more time to compile it and really, really dig deep through my record collection to, to put a lot of love into the project. But also it was just seemed like a good time to be releasing a record for home, home listening and home raving because that's what everybody's been doing. So I kind of fell on my feet because everybody was sort of looking for a, a soundtrack to their, their kitchen Friday nights. And we, I mean, they even... They even managed to lock to, the second lockdown came week of release, I and mean, it couldn't have fallen into our hands better in terms of, uh, of it, it's fulfilling that purpose. But no, it was great for uh, it's it, way overdue for me to do back to mine. I've always been a fan of the series. I've no idea why I hadn't done one before. But yeah, this year seemed a, coincidentally seemed a good year to do that. I was laughing when your daughter Nelly was DJing, and she was absolutely mortified. I think the words were bad dad dancing yeah. <laughs> i was thinking to myself going it must be pretty cool if your dad's fat boy slim but obviously that would that wouldn't be true because she was it would appear a bit mortified by your dancing well no i mean as as well as as my job as a as an international dj i am a father and it's a father's sworn duty to embarrass his daughter every opportunity he has and if i can do that by dancing then so be it <laughs> go on son if Nelly said she wanted to get into music as a DJ, would you tell her to run a million miles or would you tell her it's the industry to be in? No, I mean, I, I can't lie to her. She's, she's grown up with me, me and her mother firmly in, in showbiz. So I can't lie to her and say it's not, you know, a fun and interesting life. Um, if, if she said it to me 
Tomorrow I would say, just say, not yet. You know, she's only 10 years old and she, you know, it was quite fun to do that thing for Camp Festival, but, and I think she's just got her first booking at Camp Festival in, in, uh, end of July. If oh, it happens. Yeah. Yeah. She's on oh, the bill. Okay. At Camp, on the, on the ground. Well, her, 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 her demo tape went down rather well. Her audition tape went down rather well, so she's got the job. But but no, I mean she's got tons of uh, time, tons of time to to be a child first um, before. But yeah, of course I'd enjoy it. I encourage her. It's the best job in the world. I've been so lucky all the way through my life to be able to do what I love for a living. And if she loves it, I would, of course I would, I would encourage her. One thing I wouldn't do though is be to like push her. You know, like those kind of pageant parents. And it's quite weird because my son obviously ended up on a reality show and. A goggle box, but I promise you, I, I told it, I advised him not to do both those things. <laughs> so I'm not, yeah, I'm not pushing him in that direction. But with me and Zoe as parents, they can't help but have grown up with a little bit of showbiz in their blood, and it's I, it's almost inevitable that they will go somewhat in that direction. I've been instructed to give you a very big thank you, mate, was the exact words for the records you played. It's a friend of mine. He's a producer from Belfast called Buka. And you played his Acid Disco tune when you were doing a set with Annie Mac recently. So he sends oh, his regards and says thank you so oh, much. Bless him. I say thanks for a great tune. <laughs> I'll, I'll try to get him to send you a couple more. Did you know that you are in a children's book called Rave Tots? Called what? Called Rave Tots. Rave tots. Yeah. I didn't know. So um, basically, there's a friend of mine from Glasgow and she's got the most adorable little boy who I'm going to play you a little clip of now. He's only two, so he's still learning to talk and stuff like that. But it's essentially the crux of the book is every headline DJ will go A, B, C, D, E and so on and so forth. But she's got, uh, his name is Frankie Edgar, so she's got him to try. Boy Slim. Fat Boy Slim. Mm-hmm. F is for Fat Boy Slim. Can you see it? Uh, Peppa Pig. <laughs> okay. No, I think he wanted Peppa Pig by the end of that. <laughs> but that's him. That's him said. That's him said. Fat Boy Slim. So you've you've made a you've made a two year old's day. Rave Tots sounds. I mean, I'm I'm always honoured with things like that happen. I do love cropping up in pop culture. I mean, the first I think the first time I knew I'd arrived was when we heard a tune of ours on the the jukebox in the Queen Vic. That's always a big moment in a musician's life. It's like, oh, we're in, we're part of the furniture now. You've made it now. And then I still, to the day, my, my greatest triumph and my, my greatest honour of doing this is to have a dildo named after me. Actually? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> what was it called? Actually, like, it couldn't like, have been Fat Boy Slim, was it? You're fat, boy th- fat Boy Thin, it's called. <laughs> Oh my days! So that's that's the pinnacle of your career. Not that's not- it. It's, it's it's downhill from now on. I can't top that in terms of yeah, uh, uh, you know, being a that your impact on culture. Unbelievable! I was talking to a few of the lads today that came to Lush. I know this is a podcast, but for, for the reference of a photograph, um, that is well, you obviously can't see it. I think I sent it to you on Instagram. It's you holding the cake at Lush on the. Oh, uh, yeah. I think it was their 17th birthday. Anyway, the funny story, very quickly, about this cake is my best friend's wife made it and we gave it to you. We got a picture. We had a, we had a great chat with you. We gave it to Colin Hamilton from Lush. And that night, that cake disappeared. And it's a long running joke that to this day, nobody knows where this cake is. <laughs> it could still be in Lush. 
but nobody knows. Oh, right. Uh, it's just kind of just got lost in the moment. <laughs> you sure Cole didn't eat it? Yeah, I know. I, I, he denied that, actually. He says he didn't. He doesn't know where it is. What I, I want to nip into that quickly. What about Lush? Is that that always be a special place in your heart? Yeah. Yeah, there's, 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 um, there's quite a few clubs around the world that I love, just love going back to. Uh, and they generally tend to be run by people like Cole, who, who their heart and their love is in so in the right place that you, that you, you know, generations come and go, but they're still there just doing what they do and, and putting so much love and thought into it. So, yeah, no, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's becoming quite a regular event for me to go there. And it's the, 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 uh, the crowd there is second to none in terms of hijinks. Oh, we don't, we don't care. The cake thing. You're not, you're not, they're not shy. Yeah. You're not no, shy. We just, as the old man used to say, we don't give a fiddlers. <laughs> I think, I think that's a fair assumption. We're coming to the end of 2020. Thank God. We're almost there. We've made it. Where can we find you on New Year's Eve? Are you going to be doing a, a little set or will you be relaxing on the sofa? No, uh, I was going to do a big live stream thing and that's just fallen through. So I will, uh, me and my daughter will, I don't know, sit and stare at each other lovingly. Uh, and then I'll be working in the cafe on New Year's Day. That's, a, that's how I latterly am getting through lockdown. Is I, I own a cafe. And you and work I, in it? Yeah, I've started working there. Oh, I just stop. Got that bored. Well, no, not bored. I just, I was losing my will to live just sitting at home every day. And everything we tried to do is falling, you know, just seemed to fall apart. And I think I, it was really a beginning to affect my mental health. And I was thinking, you've got to do something. So I just started working in the cafe and it's great because it's like, it's a bit like the Queen Vic. It's kind of just like one ongoing soap opera. And it turns out I'm a pretty good waiter. Are you? Yeah. Can you, uh, can you make a good latte? I don't know. I leave the baristas. I'm not trained on the coffee machine. <laughs> I leave the baristas to that. But I'm a, I'm a, good, I do a good front of house. I'm a congenial uh, host and, and not a bad uh, waiter. Does anybody who would be in Brighton that's not necessarily from there, would they be like, I think you're man up there. I think that's Fat Boy Slim. Oh, yeah. any- <laughs> I mean, that's, that's half the gag. It's half the regulars either don't look at me or that, because I've got a mask on, they don't look at me or care. The other half kind of sort of smile at me like, knowingly. or Because if I get something wrong, I, I just go, oh, sorry, I'm new to the job. They go, yeah, we knew that. Oh, my uh, God. Oh. This is honestly, I have heard some things this year, good and bad, but this is the pinnacle that Norman, really? Cook, Norman Cook has stopped headlining working, around the world. Working in neighbourhood cafe shop. <laughs> oh my God. Norman, yeah, no, but if, any, if any of your viewers are ever near the Big Beach Cafe in, um, in Hove, then uh, I'm there 11 till 3 most weekdays. Oh my God, you're, you're an absolute nut. I love it. I love it. Norman, thank you so much for having the crack. It's been great fun chatting to you. That's um, Thanks for having us. Hopefully the next time I see you will be at a, a rave in a big, dark, dirty, sweaty arena or Port, something. Poor Lush, I think. Yeah. I think yeah. we just, I think you just, you know, that's a date. Yeah. We'll that's a must do date. And I'll bring the cake back with me. Lovely. We'll try and find this cake. Could you imagine what it would be looking like now? Jesus. Norman, happy Christmas, mate. You too. Nice to speak to you.